This is Here It Now on Prairie Public. I'm Doug Hamilton. One of the complicating factors of developing the oil and gas resources in the Bakken is getting the products to a refinery or to the end user. Right now, trains of tanker cars are moving a lot of Bakken crude, and much of the natural gas is flared at the wellhead. In the future... More pipelines will move the commodities underground to processing and storage facilities. Now, pipelines may sound like a simple solution, but as usual, the devil is in the details. A pipeline reclamation workshop will take place next week in Sydney, Montana, bringing together researchers, energy company representatives, and North Dakota and Montana landowners to discuss the best ways to protect the land over and around pipelines. And joining us to talk about this today, Aaron Espeland, a research scientist and ecologist for the USDA. They have an office in Sydney, Montana, and uh, she joins us by phone from Sydney. Good afternoon, Aaron. Hello. And Wayne Berry, a North Dakota rancher. Wayne, where are you today? I'm in uh, Williston. All right. Good to hear from you. Aaron, uh, is reclamation a process that takes place after a pipeline is removed or as it's installed and operated and then after it's removed? Well, ideally, actually, the planning process starts even prior to installation um, as part of deciding where the pipeline goes. Um, Reclamation should be part of that process. You might decide to place it in places where you know reclamation will be easier rather than more difficult. And usually in your agreement with the landowner, you specify um, the reclamation activities that you expect to take place after the pipeline is dug and after um, it's uh, recovered. Uh, and when we're talking about pipelines, what does reclamation mean? Well, reclamation actually starts with the soils, um, and that's another reason why it needs to be planned prior to the digging is because um, in some places the soil structure needs to be preserved. We want to separate the topsoil from the less nutritious um, underneath parts of the soil, and so that needs that sort of planning needs to occur before you even dig the hole to put the pipe in. And then, of course, you then place the soil back on and you have to engineer um, that soil in order to be able to take the weight of your reclamation materials and also to prevent erosion. Wayne, what has been your experience with pipeline reclamation? Uh, The only uh, situation I run into on on one pipeline was... uh, in talking about the, this was going across grassland, and talking about the, uh, the 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 variety mix of grasses that would be that would be seeded back, and our situation might be a little bit unique. We've we've converted a grain farm to a grass farm, so we've got native grasses and and we've planted different mixes on different fields, and tracking it, everyone uh, you know went to the local NRCS office and found what I had there. And then, um, you know, everything went well. The The contractor came and seeded the grass seed, and Begoria, when it started growing, it had uh, it had some crested wheatgrass added to the mix, which is an introduced invader. And so I've got this, this strip that goes corner to corner of the, of the farm. Uh, I liken it kind of that if I uh, come to your, uh, your house in town and put in an underground sprinkler and then... Uh, I resod with crabgrass. Uh, I've just changed your life. <laughs> so, how much uh, how much land has been affected this way? Well, it's just the, the you know the strip where the right of way was at, and it it just makes it difficult that if I'm not careful with the grazing and it, it, it's different than the grass that's there, and of course it wants to 
invade and spread, you know, so I don't know what's going to happen, you know, in the future, I guess, if I get to where I'm really, you know, I, I don't, yeah, it, it's just a concern and it's something we watch. I guess if it gets really bad, we may have to try and, uh, you know, spray that strip out ourselves and, uh, you know, revegetate it with with the varieties that we want. And, uh, and kind of how I got into this process is that I've always, you know, my I meet folks and they talk about pipelines and I always say, well, my my experience has been all good, and the the only thing that I recommend that, and I try to when I visit with the pipeline right away people is because the agreement says they'll re, they'll restore the land to the same condition it was in when they started, and I always tell them you know I I know they'll do that. However, I would rather that uh, they just let me plant the grass and choose it and don't pay me for it because I don't want you know any constraints. And of course they. They they want to pay for the grass seed and you know get it done right and it's uh, that just opens up the conversation and that's how Aaron and I and some other folks got talking that you know kind of came at the science side and the the communication side of this reclamation is that you know how do we just keep that communication open so we all know what's going to happen and there's you know no one gets surprised. Aaron, what are people going to be talking about at this conference coming up next week on Tuesday? March 5th from 8 well, to 4.30. Yeah. at 8:30, Well, we're going to start um, We're going to start a discussion at 8.15 just to give everybody an overview of, you know, why we're, why we're meeting. Um, and then we'll spend the morning doing the science talks. And we have several speakers from the um, Wyoming Reclamation and Restoration Center. They have quite a bit of experience in uh, reclaiming and restoring um, gas pads in, in Wyoming and doing some recovery from uh, mineral exploration there. And so we've got a section on planning, a section on soil management, which, as I mentioned, extremely important. And then we have a speaker from the USDA NRCS, the Plant Materials Center in Bridger, Montana, talking about um, how you want to select the plant materials you're seeding. Like Wayne mentioned, you probably want to select things that are growing nearby and maybe not introduce <laughs> new materials. Sure. And then we're going to have um, another speaker talking about the methods that can be used to plant the seeds that you decide you want. And then I'm going to be talking about managing weeds and also um, how to manage grazing after reclamation. And then we'll have lunch. And then we're going to have speakers from the industry talk about their experience in restoration. We've got people from, um, I forget how to pronounce this, Oneoke, I think, and um, their environmental consultants, E3 Environmental. And then we'll have a, ranch, a local rancher panel and also some other land managers, the department, uh, North Dakota Department of Trust Lands Director Mike Brand is going to be speaking, and we're going to have a biologist from the BLM speaking, as well as the president of the Northeastern Montana Land and Mineral Owners Association, in addition to our local ranchers. And we're going to have plenty of opportunities for interaction, for asking questions um, during the day. Wayne, uh, how complicated was the process that you experienced? Uh, How long did it take? What was the paperwork like? Uh, Was there some bureaucratic uh, interaction that you had to deal with? No, I, I just worked with the uh, the right-of-way agent, and we discussed, uh, you know, my concerns, and uh, they explained what they were going to do, and, uh, excuse me, gave me a, a couple of contact people, and, of course, the, the right-of-way agent kind of becomes your, your den mother on this, because you've got their number, and, uh, you know, if you can't find anyone else, 
they're always available. And it, it was really, uh, uh, I think I'm one of these fortunate people. You know, a few people said they've had more problems, but it's it's gone very, very well for us. We had, One Oak is the name of the, the company, and they put a oh, new thank pipeline. Thank you, Wayne. <laughs> yeah, One Oak. They went, through, they went through our place with another one this summer, and, and I was visiting with them. And uh, the, uh, uh, you know, they did, um, it, it seems like every time that I see it's been like um, seven, eight years since the last one that, that you know, the, the grass the grass mix uh, didn't turn out, you know, as well as it could have. The one I noticed this time was that, uh, you know, in watching them, they handled the, uh, Aaron talked about the, 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 the topsoil and the, the next layer of the soil, and I mean, they handled it just uh, almost, I don't know if kid gloves is the right way to say, you know, major construction, but they... Uh, they seem to really be meticulously on top of it, and uh, the, um, the 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 one thing that we are hoping to come out of this project, Erin, uh, with you know a little assistance from some people, but she's taken it on to, and we'll I'm sure we'll get to ask her more about it, but is going to produce a a paper or a checklist or uh, something to help everyone that's in the decision process to um, to see what's see what's happening. Sort of a best practices. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, when what kind of pipelines were built across your property? These would be. Uh, uh, we've had we've had some. Uh, we've got a couple of old ones that are crude oil, and then the ones we have now are uh, are gas lines. How deep are they? Uh, they're about four feet deep. And, they, uh, they put them down, so they're below the plow layer. Mm-hmm. So you're, uh, you know, normal farming and. Um, digging post holes and that type of thing. Although anymore, you 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 know, you call one call. When you're going to do anything, because just to, you know to protect everybody's property and to be safe. Is that eight one one? I believe it is. Okay. Uh, are they marked on your property? Or is there like a post yeah, there? Yeah, 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 they'll they'll mark them where they cross the roads or where they go through a fence, so that from the road you can you can see where they start. But if yeah. you were if you were plowing, you could plow right over where that pipeline is. Oh yes, yeah, you could mm-hmm. farm over them, and uh, even the old ones that were, you know, I mean. There's some that were, you know, done probably 20 years ago when there was a few little things going on with the, some of the oil development, and they're yeah they're way below the plow layer. Uh, well, what's the lifespan of a pipeline? Uh, do they pull it out eventually? I've never seen one pulled out. There's a there's some that they aren't using, you know, and I don't know. I guess that'd be something the industry uh, panel would probably talk to us about. Is it? You know, they do something to plug them off and neutralize them, but I'm not sure their process. Aaron, when we started out talking, you talked about the planning process being important because the pipeline company wants to probably find the uh, the route of least resistance, if you will, both uh, technically and other ways. Uh, what kind of research is being done on reclamation? Well, um, there's been quite a bit coming out of the Wyoming Reclamation and Restoration Center, and they've been looking at everything from... Um, basic soil, soil stability to even soil microbial processes. Um, actually, um, I was at a, another workshop just yesterday in Dickinson where Dickinson State had coordinated a bunch of people, and there are quite a few people at NDSU um, looking at um, soil rebuilding and reclamation. And then the, the restoration um, field um, internationally is huge. There's, there are two journals just um, in the U.S. dedicated to restoration and multiple um, scientific journals across the globe dedicated to this scientific effort. So once you get 
beyond pipeline reclamation and talk about reclamation of any mine. Surface coal mines are everywhere across the globe. There's actually quite a bit of research out there on um, processes that occur during reclamation. And it's a growth industry. Uh, There's all this uh, oil shale being discovered everywhere, and pipelines are being talked about in lots of states, not just North Dakota and Montana. Uh, Absolutely. Are federal and state reclamation rules in sync? Boy, that's a good question. I'm very lucky to work for the Agricultural Research Service, and we are not a regulatory agency. Okay. <laughs> we are a research agency, and so I'm not super familiar with uh, the Montana state regulations. Um, I did learn some things at the workshop yesterday about that actually the state of North Dakota does have a little bit more rigorous, rigorous regulations than the federal regulations. And then, of course, once you're working on a, uh, with a specific landowner, if you're working with the BLM, they will have another set of regulations. The U.S. Forest Service has a set of regulation that's slightly more restrictive than the BLM. So they do, they do vary. Um, and so in that regard, I would say they're only somewhat in sync. Well, your uh, area is, is ecology, uh, and I assume there's some soil science in there somewhere. Uh, uh, t- talk to us about uh, what Wayne was talking about before, the separating the topsoil from the other soil strata. Uh, right. Well, I actually um, did some uh, – I actually did an experiment. It was one of the first uh, research studies that I set up after moving to northeastern Montana where I was looking at – reclamation in a uh, water pipeline that the state uh, water department of North Dakota had dug throughout many ranches in the western part of the state. And they had dug this pipeline in 2008 and reseeded it in 2009. And I was doing these experiments within the pipeline and finding that um, all of my predictions about plant growth were not coming true. And I thought, man, there's something weird going on with this soil. And sure enough, um, what had happened in this, and it was a very narrow pipeline, the impact to the landscape was fairly minor, but they had mixed um, some soil horizons. And as Brenda Schladweiler will talk about at our workshop, and as she talked about yesterday in Dickinson, sometimes it's really hard to see these different layers. And um, in eastern Montana and western North Dakota, we have some soil layers that are very high in sodium and very high in sulfur. And so if you bring those layers to the top, it can make it extremely difficult for seedlings to emerge given the sort of toxic uh, soil environment that can occur when you mix soil layers. So you need some expertise out there when they're they're digging the hole. Yeah, and actually I believe that um, there are regulations in North Dakota that require a registered soil scientist to be out there looking at your soils. Wayne, is there a benefit to a rancher or landowner for allowing a pipeline through his property? Well, they pay you for an easement, uh, you know, so it's... Uh, Is that a one-time payment, then? It's uh, interesting you ask that. It, yes, it is. Uh, with the uh, exception, somehow someone um, got it going only in Richland County, Montana, that there's some annual rental on, on pipelines. So there was something unique in that county, and I don't know the, the history of it, but... Uh, so you know, there's there's some upfront money, and it uh, it seems like every year, you know, it keeps it keeps going up. So uh, you know, they're trying to make the person financially whole, I guess, if you will, to uh, um, you know, for the disturbance, and then they have, of course, the uh, the easement to come back onto the area if they need to to manage anything. They always check with the landowner or, or let you know they're coming, but. Uh, 
in the event that there is any uh, accident and any damage to your property, does that easement uh, agreement cover the complete cleanup and the cost of all that is on the company? That's that's my understanding, yes. Okay. <laughs> they get, and I guess my concern, you know, we talk uh, restoration, and then my part of it is, is revegetation, you know, at the end, and yeah. I'm hoping we'll have some time to talk about on the, the landowner panel. The things we can do with management is, you know, they seed the grass and we turn the cows in and the cows kill all the grass and then uh, <laughs> have them seeded again. And, you know, so there's there's some things that can be done with, with management. And it becomes, a, there's areas in, in McKinsey County, North Dakota, that, you know, ranchers have told me they've just given up in places. There's so many pipelines that, you know, they don't, they've just given up on some pastures. So that's, uh, you know, now that's, that's pretty harsh. Well, yes, so, it uh, is. I mean, I mean it, if you can do stuff over the pipeline, uh, well, why wouldn't they? Why would they give up on it? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I don't understand. And so that's that. what. Well, it's just well, that it. it uh, go ahead, Erin. Oh, um, it, most of the desirable species we want in our in our pastures are are perennial grasses, and those are slow to establish and um, and are really sensitive to grazing in their first two years. So. Almost everybody excludes excludes grazing um, from a from a reseeding for for two years following the seeding. And so, if you've got you know a, a time series of pipelines going through your pastures, you may not be able to um, graze. Oh, so that needs to be figured into the easement. I take it. It, it needs to be all and, and, right, and that's what we're we're hoping with uh, you know this activity that that we'll get some of those talking points so that it's. Uh, if it's talked about ahead of time in the easement, things work really well rather than trying to, you know, maybe, like you started, I think you used the term, the devil's in the details. And uh-huh. it can, uh, you know, so trying to prevent surprises, and that way everybody's more satisfied and uh, and uh, everybody ends up what's, you know, back whole again. When a pipeline goes in, like the one on your property, Wayne, uh, how wide is the, the easement? Uh, how, what are we talking about here? I'm thinking it was... I want to say, and, and I, I should look the number up, I, I think it's like 50 feet wide for construction and then um, 30 feet wide or 25-something for, for maintenance later on. So if they need to come in and, you know, take a backhoe and dig down and find something or, you know, um, check on something. Uh, and so they, 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 on our case this year, they used a huge, uh, like a road grader maintainer, and they, they took the topsoil and layers and pushed it off to the side and uh, um, put their little trench in and backfilled it and then uh, took that soil and scattered it back over and uh, tilled it down and seeded the grass. Is there the potential that this process might actually improve the productivity of that property after they're done? You know, there's evidence in in spots that it's kind of like a subsoiling thing, I know years ago when they were doing them, there was people who got pretty excited. They were going to buy subsoilers and, you know, caterpillars and go out and rip the land up because they, they could see where there was, you know, in grain fields and things for a few years where that, you know, where that ditch had gone or that trench that looked like they, the crop was greener and growing better. And uh, so it, uh, and of course, that's, that's wonderful when that happens. Like when Aaron says you've got a, you know, you've got a, like a scar across the, the landscape from, getting that soil mixed, then that's not good. Well, 
their opportunity for all of your neighbors and people out there who want to learn about pipeline reclamation to attend the Pipeline Reclamation Workshop. It's Tuesday, March 5th from 8 in the morning till 4.30 in the afternoon at the Richland County Extension Office in Sydney, Montana. There's a $10 fee, lunches included, so it's a heck of a deal. And I've been speaking with Aaron Espeland, a research ecologist at Sydney, Montana, at the uh, research station there, and Wayne Berry, a rancher with experience. Uh, good luck next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back with more in a moment. Tonight's television lineup on Prairie Public starts with Schools That Change Communities. Then at 8 Central, a concert saluting a popular dance hall band in Manitoba, Johnny and His Musical Mates. And at 9, Battle for the Elephants, an expose of the illegal ivory trade. Tune in tonight on Prairie Public. This is Hear It Now on Prairie Public. I'm Doug Hamilton, and in the background, classical gas, a classical mix of Mason Williams and Mannheim Steamroller. Where else can you hear that? Okay. Uh, Cottonwood trees are the subject of today's Natural North Dakota essay from Chuck Lura at Dakota College in Botno. Let's hear what he has to say. Occasionally we hear someone refer to grain elevators, sometimes rather disparagingly, as the skyscrapers of the prairie. But with the exception of grain elevators, the real skyscrapers of the prairie are cottonwood trees. I was thinking about that the other day while driving across the state. It seemed that cottonwoods dominated the skyline in most every town I drove through. Out of curiosity, I checked with the North Dakota Forest Service's champion tree list for cottonwoods. The tallest tree listed is a cottonwood near Sheldon in Ransom County that tops out at 115 feet. I don't know about the average height differences between cottonwood and the other trees in North Dakota, but the record height for cottonwood is a good 15 feet above that for any other tree species listed. The native habitat for cottonwood, as most people know, is floodplains along streams and shorelines and wet meadows. This species also has considerable use in planting, such as shelter belts and in boulevards and yards. However, cottonwood's not viewed very favorably these days as a lawn or boulevard tree because the cotton can be a nuisance, the great height of the trees, and the characteristic of cottonwood to produce rather weak branches. As some of you may know, when one of those branches break, it can do considerable damage to homes and other buildings. Occasionally a student will ask me why some cottonwood trees always produce cotton while others do not. Cottonwood is rather unusual in that they are dioecious, meaning the plant is either male or female. It's the female trees that produce the cotton. Each little piece of cotton blowing in the summer breeze is attached to a very small seed. If all goes well, the seed will land in the ground where it will become constantly moist for the first few weeks and receive full sunlight. The seedlings are very susceptible to drying out and shading, so it takes quite specific conditions for seedlings of cottonwood to become established. As you may know, spring flooding of rivers and streams is an important factor influencing the establishment of cottonwoods. Check your town's skyline. There's a good chance that's dominated by cottonwood. Then, as summer commences, you can identify the cottonwood matriarchs from the patriarchs. I'm Chuck Lara. 
Natural North Dakota is supported in part by the NDSU Central Grasslands Research Extension Center and Dakota College at Botno. You can read and hear today's story at prairiepublic.org. And thanks to Chuck Lura, I know how to tell the boy and girl cottonwood trees from each other. The news is next. This is Here It Now on Prairie Public, and uh, we're going to talk now about planning and saving for college because uh, there are thousands of North Dakota students out there who are getting ready to graduate from high school and take that next big step into higher education. Joining us from our studio in Bismarck is James Barnhart. He's with the Bank of North Dakota. He's the College Save Administrator. Thank you for joining us today, James. Thank you for having me. Look forward to it. And also Laura Fiedler, the College Access Coordinator for the Bank of North Dakota. Thank you, Laura. Yes, thanks. You've got an event coming up, the College Goal North Dakota events. We do. This is an exciting FAFSA completion event for students across. FAFSA is? Oh, good question. (laughs) 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 Got to make sure people know what we're talking about. FAFSA is the free application for federal student aid. So it's the basic application that all students need to complete if they want federal or state funding for college. And there are lots of kids out there who will uh, because college ain't cheap and uh, the state and the feds can help a bit. But you've got some uh, College Goal North events coming up. So what can people expect at these events? There are 21 events this year, which is actually quite an increase from last year when we had 11. And they're on various dates throughout March. Um, I should say there is one in February, actually, tomorrow in Bismarck is our first event. And basically students, whether they're in high school and soon to graduate and go to college this fall, or if they're adults or other students who have a GED or high school um, diploma and are planning to go to college this fall, they can come, complete the, the FAFSA, the free application, and get on their way to getting some money for school. I spent uh, some time in higher ed administration. I wasn't in admissions or financial aid, but I do know that uh, these forms can be intimidating, so it's great to have an opportunity to have somebody help you with them. Uh, What should students bring to these events? Well, definitely the more information they can bring with them, the better. As you said, the forms can be intimidating, so there are experts from the colleges on hand and um, to help with the forms. But if a student brings their social security number, that's definitely a necessary part. And if they need to provide parent information, they also need that, along with tax returns from the most recent tax year from 2012, and then any other records of cash savings investments. Okay, and this is going to be going all across the state. Uh, There's one in Fargo on March 26th. There's uh, one in Grand Forks, actually two in Grand Forks, one on March 19th, one on March 21st. Uh, so lots of opportunities around the state to get help uh, getting some federal money for higher ed. Definitely. James, let's talk about your area at the bank, uh, the College Save Administrator. What is What does that mean? <laughs> well, that means that I administer the state program for 529 college savings plans, and it is college save. And really, it's just an opportunity for parents and grandparents to save money for children in order to use that money later on to pay for college-related expenses. And what are the advantages for saving this way? There are multiple advantages. The, the biggest advantages have to do with taxes. The, your investment the earnings grow state and federal tax-free. 
And on top of that, contributions into the college save account for your child can also be used as a deduction off of your North Dakota income, up to $10,000 a year for married filers and up to $5,000 a year for single filers. Oh, that's a pretty good incentive. And how much can you save up in total? You know, you can actually save a a large amount, up to $269,000 in an account for a child. But the flip side of that is it only takes $25 to open up an account. And anytime you want to make a contribution in the future, you can put in as little as $25. So it's really for for everybody to participate in and and, kind of get some of those costs down for education later on. Well, what if I was a really vigorous saver and got up in that uh, higher area there? What happens to the money I don't spend on higher ed? You know what? There are some options. You can always roll the money down to another child, all the way down to a first cousin, actually. Mm. Or you could use the money for yourself to pursue uh, further education. Um, So there's a lot of uh, flexibility with the program. And on top of that, you can always pull out your own contributions. At that time, if you didn't use it for higher education, you would pay taxes on the earnings only and then a small penalty because you might not have paid taxes for up to maybe 18 or 20 years. Now, you can find out all kinds of information about this online at college save for the number four and you, the letter U, dot com. College save for you dot com. Uh, is there a significant difference between a 529 account and a Roth IRA or an IRA? Well, you know, both of them have certain benefits. And by, by North Dakota residents using the North Dakota plan, not only do you get those tax incentives um, to have the earnings grow tax-free and also be able to get the tax deduction, um, you also have some grant programs that we offer through the Bank of North Dakota, where depending on the age of your children and the income, you could get up to $1,600 in matching grant funds. So when you put that into the equation and some of our investment choices, uh, we like to say it's just the best plan for North Dakota residents to look into. You know, I went online and uh, the Bank of North Dakota, which is a unique institution in its own right, it's a state owned bank, after all, uh, has an awful lot of stuff up there about grants and scholarships. It, obviously, uh, the, uh, the reserves are put to some good use. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there are all kinds of loan programs, grant programs, scholarship programs. Uh, uh, there is a lot of opportunity for North Dakota students just going online and looking around and looking in your area in particular. Yeah, absolutely. There's also the College Planning Center website, um, which is kind of a, a mix mash of everything we have going on at the bank, kind of from a cradle to grave sort of a scenario um, for you know saving for college early on, going through the education process, learning about it, getting involved with grants and scholarships like Laura has with the Dollars for Scholars program, and then the Dakota Education Alternative Loan, which is uh, hands down the best alternative loan for students in the state of North Dakota. Oh, Laura, let's talk about that North Dakota Dollars for Scholars program. Sure. Um, Well, I can tell you a little bit about it. Many people in North Dakota are familiar with it. There's actually 84 chapters across the state. But Dollars for Scholars is actually a national organization, 
and it's dedicated to increasing scholarship opportunities for students seeking any type of education. So sometimes the name is a little misleading in my opinion. Dollars for Scholars makes you think that you have to be the best and brightest in your class to get a scholarship. Um, but really students of all academic abilities and whether they're going to a trade school like a, a hair academy or um, going on to a two-year or four-year school, we have scholarships for a wide range of students. And that con- information can be found at NDDFS, North Dakota Dollars for Scholars, NDDFS.org. Uh, and I should mention that uh, College Goal North Dakota, we talked about that earlier, has its own website too, College Goal Goal. Altogether, nd.org, collegegold.nd.org. <laughs> lots of uh, websites to remember here. There are lots of them, but one thing um, that viewers should know, too, Bank of North Dakota has really made a, an effort this year to collapse and combine a lot of our websites. So simply by going to bank nd.nd.gov and going into the College Planning Center on that website, you can branch off into College Goal North Dakota, Dollars for Scholars, College Save. So um, it's kind of a one-stop shop, which makes it nice because it is hard to remember all these websites. And there are lots of ways to really cut the cost of higher education for North Dakota students. Uh, One way uh, that... uh, more and more students, I think, are discovering and taking advantage of is to earn college credit in high school. Oh, definitely. Dual credit is really a big push. And Bank of North Dakota recently, um, just a couple years ago, created a dual credit assistance scholarship for lower income students who qualify for free or reduced price lunch to help them pay for those dual credit classes. So that helps you. I mean, you get you get credit for your high school work, but you also get credit at the college level, and you will have fewer credits to take or, and pay for because of that. Right. It's a great way to really get a jump start on college, and oftentimes the classes are cheaper that way, too, um, because the state sometimes offers some discounts, and then if students qualify for our assistance program, too, they can actually take the class for free. And the North Dakota legislature has been reasonably generous in the last uh, few years. Uh, they've created scholarships to encourage and reward high school students for taking this challenging coursework in preparation. So That's exactly correct, and it's one of the reasons why we created the dual credit assistance program. Um, because if a student wasn't able to pay for those classes, not only would they not be earning credits early, but they would also miss out on the scholarships that the state has created as well, which require um, more aggressive and advanced classes while in high school. And uh, we're not just talking about uh, university or, or liberal arts colleges. We're talking about career and technical education scholarships as well. You mentioned some of that, but there, there are scholarships specifically for those endeavors. There are. And in fact, with North Dakota Dollars for Scholars, we are offering about $130,000 just from our state chapter. So that's not counting all the 84 chapters throughout the state that have their own scholarships to award locally. But then any student who's from those communities, they have the opportunity for an additional 130000 that the state is offering. And specifically, we have one um, scholarship category that's exclusively for students going into those career and technical programs at at a college. And for those parents or students out there who are high achievers, uh, the North Dakota Scholars Program uh, is really wonderful. A full tuition scholarship 
renewable for up to three years to any tribal or private college or university system, college or university. Recipients must maintain a high cumulative GPA of 3.5, but that's a pretty good ride. Oh, definitely. Um, That one is for students who do the top 5% on the ACT when they take it their junior year. And that program is actually sponsored um, or provided through the state of North Dakota. And usually students have to score somewhere at least above a 30. And it depends every year since it's the top 5% of test takers for that year. But somewhere usually between a 30, 31, 32 to qualify. There's a, there's a lot of money out there. Uh, you, you have to kind of uh, look for it. You have to apply for it. Uh, but uh, it certainly uh, is every bit as rewarding as working for it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and, you uh, know, applying is one of the most important things, I would say. Uh, you know, we have 8,000 high school seniors in the state And typically with the state chapter, last year was actually our groundbreaking year. We got 1,000 applications. Here in Bismarck, we have close to 1,000 seniors, and every year we get between 50 and 100. So it's really that applying is the key piece that a lot of times is the piece that's missing too. Well, uh, we're trying to help get the word out. Is there anything else that can be done in the schools themselves to raise awareness? You know, I do think the counselors do a really good job of getting the information to their students, and they have it on their websites and bulletin boards. But it seems to me that parents are kind of the driving resource. In fact, most of the emails and phone calls and questions that I get, unfortunately, aren't from students, but they're from their parents. So I think getting the students more involved, making sure the parents have the information as well and are encouraging or pushing or making their students do the the work is important. Uh, The College Goal North Dakota piece, again, uh, dealing with that complicated uh, federal form, the FAFSA form, uh, is coming up. That's uh, actually got one tomorrow, but they continue all the way through March. And uh, they'll be all across the state. James Barnhart is encouraging you to save when your child is born, actually. Get that 529 going uh, so that by the time the child is 18 and heading off to college, that there's some, there's some money there. Uh, is there anything else we should be telling people out there about the possibility of funding their, high, their higher education? Well, we would just like uh, people to realize that they can take advantage of the College Save program through the state at any time in the child's age. Uh, The most benefit is going to come from saving smaller amounts when the child is very young and, you know, increasing those amounts as they get, you know, through their, through their life cycle. But people can participate um, all the way up into their teens and later teens. And with the North Dakota matching grant program, the beneficiary can actually be 15 years old or younger and North Dakota residents earning $100,000 federally adjusted gross income or below as a married couple can qualify for up to $500 from the state for every beneficiary they open up an account for. Mm. So it's a fantastic program. Some, Like you said, some really great grant opportunities, and 8 out of 10 North Dakotans actually can qualify for the program. Can out-of-state relatives get involved? Yes, we have a lot of grandparents calling us, visiting the website, coming to see us at the Bank of North Dakota, opening up accounts for maybe between 5 and 13 grandchildren. So it's not only benefiting, benefiting those in-state children, but it's also benefiting those out-of-state children. 
Are, are some of these uh, grants and scholarships limited to state schools, that is, schools within North Dakota? No. Actually, with College Save, you can use the money to go to a Votech program, a hair school, two-year, four-year public-private schools, and out-of-state schools especially. So 98% of schools across the United States are going to qualify for this money to be used at. There uh, are some state programs, though, like the Scholars Program that you mm-hmm. talked about, where you get a, a free ride to any school, full tuition. Um, any program that's through the, the state of North Dakota, not the Bank of North Dakota, but through the, the university system, mm-hmm. those students do have to go on the state. So even if they go just a mile across the border and go to Moorhead, um, they would no longer qualify. But like James said, all the college save money, that can be used anywhere. Dollars for scholars, scholarships administered by Bank of North Dakota, they can go anywhere. Um, with the exception of our one Paramount scholarship that's for 15000 that one we do require students to go in the state. Okay. Are there any ed- accreditation issues or requirements for schools that can be funded this way? Typically, no, as long as they are um, a higher education um, school, uh, students can, can use them. We had a student even go to a, um, a small Bible college in Colorado that, um, that was definitely very small and, and still was able to use our scholarship there. What's that Bank of North Dakota web address for the uh, college information? BankND.nd. Gov. Okay. We got and, a little repetitious with our NDs well, there. And like, <laughs> and like we say, you just Google Bank in North Dakota and we'll come right up. Right. And w- another one that might come up uh, in this search is the North Dakota University System site as well. They've got uh, quite a lot of information up there to help students and parents. But mm-hmm. whatever, there's lots of information there. There's even a fair amount of money out there. So there should be an incentive for parents <laughs> who might be looking at a pretty big bill and their student children to do some investigating. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thanks. James Barnhart is with the Bank of North Dakota as the College Save Administrator. Laura Fiedler also with the bank as the College Access Coordinator. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, we'll be back in a moment. When you hear arts programming here on Prairie Public, Know that it is supported in part by the North Dakota Council on the Arts, and we thank them. Hear It Now would like you to contact us if you have comments, questions, or guest ideas. Give us a call at 1-888-755-6377 or write us at hearitnow at prairiepublic.org. This is Hear It Now on Pray Public. And, uh, you know, Bruce Berg is our essayist from Jamestown, and uh, he sent in another bit of his opinion. Let's hear what he has to say about future tech. It's confab and coffee time at a local cafe when I notice a family of four kids and two parents seat themselves at a large table. Now, after I've had a half a cup of coffee, I, I note the family again. The four youngsters all have devices in their hands, and my guess is that the two young ones are playing games and the older two are texting. One thing is certain, they are not talking. Mom and Dad are quiet, too, until Mom's cell phone blares for attention 
and in a moment Mom is off on a babble. I return to the conversation at my own table, but I remain curious about the modern drama at the family table. Their high-tech show continues. The kids don't look up, Mom keeps talking, and Dad looks glum. I can imagine that his plans for a family outing have gone somewhat awry. I check my watch and observe that about fifteen minutes have gone by and nary a word has been passed between the family members. Now, I'm not some blue-suited chief of the behavior police. These folk aren't doing anything wrong, and I really don't mean to be spying. But I do find the separation of family members one from another by the little black boxes absorbing, interesting, and to me, rather sad. Mom's been on the phone for some time now, and she nods at the waitress as she delivers their orders. But she rambles on, and I wonder if Alexander Graham Bell looked in, he might ponder, What have I wrought? The kids smile now and then, which is at least one form of communication that hasn't been lost in this technology uberalis society. I have a fleeting thought, wondering if it might be possible that the two teen types might be texting each other. No, they wouldn't do that. Would they? The high-tech gurus tell us that we ain't seen nothing yet, and the gurus are not kidding. I'm just hoping that those robotized kids at that family table will have some choice in accepting or rejecting some of the marvels of the high-tech age. It's a wondrous age, no doubt, but sometimes I'm caught pondering where will people fit in a world commanded by the wonders of modern science. I'm reminded of Hal, the computer of the future in Space Odyssey 2001 who just didn't need us anymore. This is Bruce Berg, Jamestown. That's Bruce Berg. I'm Doug Hamilton. You're listening to Hear It Now. And I remember before email, there was another kind of mail. We used to use paper and send it through the mail to other people, and they would open it and read it. And next up on our Dakota Date book, we'll hear about some of the difficulties with analog mail. Subscribe to our podcast or listen to a broadcast. Either way, recent shows of Hear It Now are available online. So if you missed a show, you can hear it now or hear it anytime, anywhere. All day, all night, a friend in Fiji, your aunt in Vermont, can tune into a show you just know they'd want to hear or they can browse for other topics of interest. So spread the word and hear it now at prairiepublic.org. This is Dakota Datebook for February 27th. In an age of email and cell phones, sometimes postal services are taken for granted. This is unfortunate, as the history of mail is rich. That friendly postman, in his or her official blues, comes from a great background. Mail has always been important in helping families stay connected. 
little fonts of civilization sprung up around post offices. This was especially true for early settlers of North Dakota. Many were homesteading their land far away from their families, who were often either along the East Coast or in a completely different country. Getting mail to and from those or other locales maintained part of their connection, proving that they were not so isolated. Historically, the different methods of carrying those beloved epistles echoed historical times and innovations. In fact, almost anything that moves has been used to carry the mail. At one time in the Southwest, the Army even imported camels to carry mail. Mail delivery methods included the Pony Express, where men rode nonstop to the point of exhaustion to deliver the few letters they could take with them. Mail was also transported by carriage, wagon, and steamship, where there was water to traverse, and later by plane. Then, of course, there were mail trains, fast and efficient, and girding the country, rail lines moved mail swiftly across the land. Within this history of the post office and these different methods of mail carrying, however, there is also a rich tradition of mail getting lost. In 1911, some mail en route to Tagus was crushed, shredded, and lost. One of the bags of mail got dragged between the wheels of the train and was torn into pieces. The mail was scattered the length of the yards. The newspaper sack was somewhat intact, and the postmistress spent a busy afternoon trying to sort out who got the papers, or rather, the pieces of the papers. Very few letters survived, though. Nothing was found in the mail sack except for the lock. As well as the regular mail, a package of money intended for the Tagus Bank was in that bag. Of the $500 in that sack, a large sum of money for that year, only $380 was recovered. The rest was likely to be compensated by insurance. So on this date, those years ago, bits of mail and $120 were probably still roaming about the prairies. And that wouldn't be such a bad windfall. Today's Dakota Datebook was written by Sarah Walker. I'm Errol Pepcorn. Dakota Datebook is produced in cooperation with the State Historical Society of North Dakota with funding from the North Dakota Humanities Council. Tuesday on Here It Now, we heard from Fargo Republican Representative Kathy Hawken about some early childhood education and childhood issues that were in the legislature that she was concerned about. Well, we're going to hear from another state legislator uh, tomorrow. Senator Phil Murphy will be our guest to talk about early childhood education. Also, our own Scott Prebus is one of the guest performers in the Dakota Air Show coming to Bismarck this Saturday. And tomorrow, a recap of the Academy Awards, a look ahead to the Fargo Film Festival, and a new movie review from Matt O'Lean. And uh, Ashley Thornburg will join me for our What's Happening calendar of events. And, uh, yeah, we will have another trivia question for Matt O'Lean, too. Uh, uh, we're going to test his encyclopedic knowledge of all things movie and Oscar in particular. In the meantime, have a great evening. <laughs>